Welcome to the Unleash Your Best Clinical Self podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Kopian. If you're a physiotherapist or other movement professional who feels like you're stuck in a rut, then my podcast is for you. This podcast is focused on helping you move from frustration to flow in your clinical practice. In each episode, I'll share strategies, approaches, and my latest thinking on how to improve your clinical performance and keep loving what you do. This is episode number 60, and in this episode, I'll be talking about the real value that we offer our patients, plus I'll walk through two antidotes to clinical reasoning overwhelm. Before I dive in, though, I want to let you know that I have a newsletter where I write about topics relating to improving clinical performance. If you're interested, head over to 360clinician.com to sign up. So it's easy for us as clinicians to feel like we're falling behind. I think there's this constant feeling like we're not keeping up. There's just so much information out there. And I think it's staggering when we actually look at the amount of information that is created on a daily basis. I I did a quick search uh, and found a Forbes article that outlined some stats. And they said that there were 2.5 quintillion bytes of data created each day. I don't know about you, but that number seems unfathomable to me. They also said that there's about 40,000 Google searches done every second. You know, those are big numbers. People are searching for all types of things. But I think that this uh, explosion of data also can affect us as healthcare providers. The pressure to stay up to date, it just continues to build and build. There's an accelerating amount of research that's being produced. There's more journals to review, courses to take, techniques to learn. And really with the internet, I mean, obviously it's opened up people's access to new information and to new people. And so there's even more information for patients. There's more information for clinicians. And there's also just more competition and more options in terms of who patients go to see, which can be a good thing, but it also can put a lot of pressure on us in terms of being able to stand out with all the noise that's out there. Another pressure that we can feel really comes with trying to keep up with what our patients are bringing to us. Patients are more sophisticated. They have access to more online resources, Dr. Google and all its various forms. It can sometimes leave us a little bit on our heels as we're trying to navigate and provide input and insight for patients who have already come in with a lot of background research and especially on areas or questions that that we may not necessarily feel up to date on. The reality is it just can feel exhausting. These pressures can come from so many different angles and different areas and it can feel hard to keep up. And a lot of times we turn to social media as a way to stay up to date. And social media can be good, can help us learn and help us create new connections and help us get exposed to new ideas. But I think it also has a dark side. You know, the amount of self-help content on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok really provides both the clinician and the patient with an abundance of exercise ideas, quick fixes, different uh, perspectives and way to frame things. But it's easy to fall into the trap that the solution is that we just need more information. We just need to stay on top of the latest trend or message that's being put out there. And we can begin to believe that social media will give us the answer with more exercises, more assessment techniques, and more treatment options. But if we're not careful, we can find that scrolling through these posts can leave us, and myself included here, actually feeling quite discouraged and uncertain about ourselves and our skills. A fresh exercise idea can help spur our creative thinking. It can help us look at things differently. But if we're not careful, we can easily become consumers of content. And the end result of just being a consumer of content is it doesn't actually result in any kind of change in clinical practice. Part of the problem, I feel, is how we view ourselves and the value that we provide uh, to our patients. We can fall into this trap of believing that we just need to amass more information. We get on this hamster wheel. We just never end, you know, just trying to stay up to date, trying to stay up to date. But the problem is that the poor hamster is getting exhausted. And the reality is that we can believe that our 
value comes from being what I'd call a data aggregator. And today what I want to talk about is how do we reframe ourselves and the value that we provide our patients so that we can help move into a place of greater flow in our practice where we're not feeling like the exhausted hamster. As I've reflected on my own use of social media and spent a bit more time trying to create some short form videos, which I feel really is out of my element, but I've observed my own internal experience. I noticed a shift in myself with scrolling through various movement related content. And really what I've noticed was I felt a sense of inadequacy. I was left questioning my understanding and knowledge, not being up to date with this particular back exercise, or I got a watched a video on a particular shoulder strengthening exercise that I was like, oh, I didn't know about this. I could see how quickly it could begin to impact my sense of self. And I think it's really important that we protect and nurture our sense of self. I think that's so crucial. Because what I've found is that when we operate from a place of safety and stability and support, it's in that place that we have the courage to be curious and collaborative and creative in our clinical practice. The risk with being consumers of information, and especially these addictive social media feeds, is that we can become purveyors of information, but not action takers of the information. We don't move past that surface level consumption. Here's a scenario where maybe I'm stressed or bored, maybe it's a patient stress, Maybe I'm feeling some internal doubt about a patient case, or maybe I'm just feeling a little bit overwhelmed with life or work. And so what do I do? I scroll through that social media feed. Maybe I find an exercise. Maybe I get some little tidbit and I feel better about myself. Okay, I've got a new idea. Dopamine has a nice little hit, but that hit can you know wear off pretty quickly. And I sort of move into a little bit of that withdrawal state. And especially if I don't do anything with that inspiration or uh, that insight, I can just really end up getting into this withdrawal state and I actually feel worse about myself than I did before I even went through that cycle. Because of the variable reward mechanisms that are inherent within social media platforms, this cycle of feeling stressed or bored, you know, getting a surge of dopamine, then having this withdrawal uh, effect, it really can become quite addictive. And there has been some research showing that a social media addiction is really similar in terms of some of the brain anatomy changes that uh, take place with substance abuse and gambling. And so it really can actually start to change how our brain functions. While clinical tips and tricks can be helpful, I think another really important thing to remember is that it can become uh, really difficult to move up the knowledge pyramid or otherwise known as the knowledge hierarchy when it comes to our clinical practice. You know, we can stay uh, stuck in the data and information levels and, and if we think about the knowledge pyramid, we have at the bottom, we have data, and then that gets processed and there's a little bit of added value in terms of at the information stage. And then the knowledge stage is really where there's more connection and really is where information is, is being put into action. And then the elusive wisdom stage follows from the knowledge stage. If we're just staying in this data and information stage, it often becomes these disparate bits of information that are not necessarily being put into action. The connections aren't necessarily being made with other existing knowledge and information that we already uh, possess. What can often end up happening is we can stay stuck at that level and, and it, we just sort of hit the ceiling where we, we get into this habit of not being able to move into the higher level integration that's so important for clinical application of what we do know. 
And there's really two things that uh, can happen when we get stuck in this uh, rut is that we can often feel worse off uh, than we did before and can even feel more entrenched in terms of feeling like we're not staying up to date because we are getting exposed to this information, but we're not actually doing anything with it. And so we even feel further and further behind and we're actually more acutely aware of that gap. And then what ends up happening too is we just get these fragmented bits of information and data. We you know these pieces of social media that are there in our brain, but it's not really connected to anything. And unless we do something with it in that moment, it just sort of disappears. It just sort of moves out of our awareness. And unfortunately, it leaves us stuck in terms of our current state of understanding and growth as clinicians. One of the signs of being a data aggregator is that we can often find ourselves lost in our clinical assessments. We can end up doing more and more tests and collect more objective data. And the problem is that we get that data, but it doesn't actually further our sense of clarity in terms of what's going on with our patient. And so being unable to make the connections between our subjective and objective data points can actually just leave us feeling really confused and more confused than we were before. And I was reminded of this case where a patient transferred to see me for some persistent shoulder pain she was really quite limited in terms of her function. I was really struggling to make progress and getting back to lifting weights at the gym. And, and again, this is a no reflection to the therapist who was seeing her. But when I looked at the chart note, there was more than 30 different data points uh, from the last therapist's objective assessment. And unfortunately, there was really no information that helped to outline a clinical picture of what was really going on with this patient. And I think what this highlighted was the importance of creating that clinical picture, that clinical story with the data points that we're collecting. The shift we need to make is to see ourselves as sense makers. We're helping to make sense of what's going on with the pain our patients are, are going through. We're helping our patients to make sense of what's contributing and driving their pain and symptoms. And we're helping patients to navigate and make sense of the recovery journey. But in order to really help bring sense to our patients' lived experience, we need to bring the parts together. We have to look at it as a whole. And that's really what that word integrate. Hey, I just wanted to have a quick pause to introduce you to today's podcast sponsor, Soul. They're off-the-shelf moldable insoles, and it's the brand of insoles that I recommend to my patients and have for years. The reason I recommend them is that they're heat moldable by the patient, they've got a great arch support, and they come with options to help with different foot issues. It's really easy for customers to order, and when you refer them to Soul, they get free shipping and 10% off. Make sure to check them out at yoursoul.com forward slash health dash professionals. That's Y-O-U-R-S-O-L-E dot com forward slash health dash professionals. All right, back to the show. It means to bring the parts together to look at the whole. What I believe needs to happen is we need to shift from seeing ourselves as being a data aggregator to being a data integrator. That's really the value that we provide to our patients. When we see ourselves as data integrators, it challenges us to bring a holistic focus to our assessment and treatment because we're trying to look for the connections. We're trying to look for the whole. We're trying to bring the parts together. We're connecting the dots for our patients and we're helping to bring a complete picture to what's going on from a movement and physical function perspective. And when we can bring more of a complete picture to the table, we can help our patients understand the why beyond just the experience of their pain. And the reality is there's no amount of exercise instruction on Instagram or TikTok that patients can do that will ever come close to the value that you can provide as a data integrator. So I want to shift gears a little and I want to provide a few concrete suggestions to help you move deeper into your role of functioning as a data integrator. 
First off, if you haven't yet listened to episode 58, I'd encourage you to give it a listen. So that I talk about the importance of attention and clinical performance. And as I mentioned before, it's important to protect and nurture our inner self. Creating that sense of stability, safety, support will allow you to move into a deeper place of creativity and curiosity. And with that in mind, I'd recommend being intentional about our social media usage. If you're looking for fresh ideas and inspiration on social media, be intentional with that effort. And if you find something, capture that insight somehow and look for a way to apply it as soon as possible within your clinical practice. But if you're feeling lost in the endless scroll, or you're anxious about all the information and opinions that are out there, then I encourage you just to take a break. It's not going to help your sense of overwhelm. It's not going to help your sense of frustration. And in fact, what it will do, it will amplify it. Now I want to talk about two antidotes to improve sense-making and reduce clinical reasoning overwhelm. So first off, it can be helpful when going through an assessment to really refine the clinical picture you're beginning to see. By organizing the data points that you're gathering from both the subjective and objective examination, there was an article by Mark Jones called Clinical Reasoning and Manual Therapy, and he talks about the benefit to outcomes by combining hypothesis-driven decision-making with an improved organization of knowledge. I'm just quoting from the article. He said, expert clinicians have a superior organization of knowledge and use a combination of hypothetical deductive reasoning and pattern recognition or forward reasoning. And support for the importance of one's organization of knowledge is available from the literature of cognitive psychology. Experts acquire efficient ways of representing information in their working memory. So, end of quotes. What we have here is the ability to take this hypothesis-driven approach and combine that with how you're organizing the information that you're gathering and being able to use pattern recognition forward reasoning to support your diagnostic decisions. So what I found helpful for myself is I found that organizing my physical assessment data points into tissue-based categories, especially when I'm just looking at the MSK system, can be really helpful. So as I work through my evaluation, I look to see which category appears to have the strongest signal, leaning more towards a joint problem. Is it more of a muscle problem? Is it more of a nervous tissue problem? And as I go through my data points and I start to collect those data points, I sort of think of, you know, which bucket do those data points start to fall into? Is it the joint bucket? Is the neuro bucket? Is the muscular bucket? And the more data points that come into a bucket, it helps me to looking more closely as to that bucket as a driver of dysfunction. And then reevaluating to see what affirming and disaffirming is coming to uh, bear in terms of my uh, diagnostic hypothesis. You know, this process can be done on the fly, but I think it's also useful to work through a clinical reasoning grid to just consciously organize your thoughts and prioritize your assessment findings. And once you've gone through this process, you can really begin to look at the whole picture and start to develop a working hypothesis of what's going on. All right, in order to go a little deeper, we can start to look at integrating your assessment data and really begin to map out the possible why for your key assessment findings. So I think an example is probably helpful to explain what I mean here. So let's say that you have a shoulder patient who presents with, let's say, some mild external rotation weakness and tenderness of the supraspinatus. They also have a mild painful arc. And as I discussed in episode number 59 with adopting a hypothesis-based approach, I could say that I believe the patient is presenting with a mild rotator cuff pathology with possible supraspinatus tendinopathy. From this point, you can then begin to ask yourself, well, what's contributing to your key objective findings? 
Now, I find that getting a pen and paper can be helpful tools to support working through this. So you would outline your diagnostic impression along with your most salient objective findings. So for each of these findings, you would then look to better understand potential drivers for that objective finding. For example, let's say that objective data point was that weak external rotation. So then we say, okay, well, why is that external rotation weak? What's contributing to some of that irritation that's happening at the shoulder? So is a possible driver poor force coupling at the glenohumeral joint? Is it possibly a scapular positioning fault that's impacting the ability for the rotator cuff muscles to function correctly? So once you've mapped this out, you can then begin to work through your treatment planning approach and then really start to tackle some of these potential drivers and then use those as uh, test to then confirm your hypothesis. You may find that by altering and changing the positioning of the scapula that when you retest the shoulder external rotation that strength has improved. Well now all of a sudden you have much greater clarity in terms of uh, that potential driver for that objective data point and now you can start to look at that. The, the reality is that there's so many different things that could be impacting the shoulder health and strength of the shoulder and just identifying that there's some weak external rotation strength is a really good starting point but it, it doesn't really necessarily give you a ton of clarity in terms of how to approach treating that issue. Yes, it may benefit from some strengthening, but what if it actually doesn't need more strength? So what if that external rotation weakness is coming from an issue like that scapular positioning fault? It's going to change how you look at what you're treating because now you're actually going to treat the scapular positioning fault, not the actual objective data point, because you now have some confirmation through your testing that that's actually what's driving the significant clinical finding there. And keep in mind, this is an iterative approach and things can change during your assessment and treatment planning as new data points become available. The goal isn't to be dogmatic with your clinical reasoning, but rather to be flexible and be open to new information as it becomes available. Okay, so let's uh, do a bit of a recap here before we uh, wrap up for today. I started off with acknowledging that we are having pressures come out at us from all sides and this pressure to always stay up to date to, to stay on the latest can really wear at us over time and a lot of times we'll end up believing that more information is the answer to solving this sense of overwhelm in ourselves and more often than not we can look to courses we can look to webinars but we can also access and look to social media as a, a way to combat the sense of overwhelm. The problem is that social media, while it can have some really positive effects, can also make it really easy to fall into this cycle or this loop where we are looking to get to feel better about ourselves without actually taking action with the information that we're going through. And so the key is to be really intentional with what we're doing with social media. And if we're finding ourselves feeling frustrated, overwhelmed, maybe just disillusioned, I think it's better for our own sense of self to take a break from social media and really limit it so that we're protecting ourselves because it's from our own sense of self that we can really have the strength and the fortitude to be able to move into a place of ongoing curiosity, collaboration, and creativity in our clinical practice. I also then talked about the knowledge pyramid and how when we just become consumers of information, we don't necessarily move up that knowledge pyramid from that data and information stages into that knowledge and wisdom stage. That's so important in order to really start to function with greater clinical expertise and skill. What we need is to start to look at reframing how we see ourselves, not as a data aggregator or a collector of more and more information, 
but instead as a data integrator where we're really looking at the patient as a whole, really making sense of things for the patient, seeing ourselves as sense makers in our patient's lives as it comes to movement and physical function. And so what I then talked about are two antidotes to improving sense making and reducing clinical reasoning overwhelm. The first was to look at how you organize your physical assessment data points. And I talked about a strategy that I use in terms of the idea of these buckets of neuro and joint and muscular as a way to start to tease out what's going on and then using that hypothesis driven decision making approach to really start to solidify what I see going on with the patient in front of me. And then I also talked about really using the power of why to start to drill down a little bit more in terms of the objective data points that you've discovered during your physical evaluation and then start to look at possible drivers and start to test if those drivers are actually impacting those objective data points that you discovered. There are some visuals that I've put together in a related blog posts. I'd encourage you to check it out if you actually wanna see some of the visuals that I put together for that. But really what we have to remember is that our value comes from deepening our skill and expertise in being a data integrator. And I think once you reframe how you view yourself and the value you bring to your patients, you really will be free from this weight of feeling overwhelmed by the constant barrage of messaging that says you don't know enough and that you're not enough. And it's from this place of security and support, it's where you're gonna be able to move into a deeper place of creativity and curiosity. And this is where your best ideas are gonna come from. And when you're free to explore and be curious, your patients are gonna benefit. And you're gonna really start to shift moving from this place of perpetual frustration to a place of flow and integrated thinking and a place of connection and collaboration with your patient. Thank you for hanging out with me today and hearing how to improve your clinical practice. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify to stay up to date with future episodes. And if you did enjoy the, today's episode, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. Here's to less frustration, more flow, and better clinical results. Till next time.